And uh, even now, Lord, I just want to I want to welcome your presence among us, and don't want to um, in any way uh, run too quickly into this uh, into this message because I feel like our theme that we've been exploring and the and really the the word that we're trying to settle into even now if, is this idea of being transformed and transforming life is what you do and it's what you keep doing and as long as we're open you'll work in our lives in amazing ways in exceptional ways in extraordinary ways and I know you have a path for all of us if some of us came in here Lord we were maybe we've been struggling with things maybe some of us have been doing great but we're sensing a time of transition upon us wherever we are Lord we want to be open and I want to pray blessing and life over this word and I ask this in Jesus name Amen, God. You know, um, last week we began this discussion around, you know, there's not a really an, a, an occasion in all the scripture quite like what we looked at when we talk about the transfiguration and the Mount of Transfiguration, what actually happened to Jesus there. It stands out as so, you know, unusual it is almost like it catches us off guard because it's, it's something so different that's recorded about something that happened to Jesus. And some of you may recall, and we put this, you can also see that in your handout there in Matthew 7, 17 as well, that there's a, the reference to it from last week. But Jesus had this moment where prior to heading into Jerusalem, where he knew he was going to be betrayed, crucified, and he said he would rise. But prior to that moment where he knew he was going to have something very bad happen to him, that he had been, in a sense, moving towards his entire life, something bad that would bring good. It was all part of a plan, a much larger plan. But we're told that Jesus, uh, six days after having this really intense conversation with Peter, some of us may recall we talked about this last week, how Peter and Jesus had this really interesting exchange where Jesus asked the question, well, who do you say that I am after they had been discussing different people's perspective on what others were saying about Jesus and they were talking about it. Jesus asked the question, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, I know who you are. We call it the great confession. He says, you are the Christ. You're the promised one of God. You're the one that all the prophets talked about coming. That's who you are. Not only that, you are only the Christ. Peter then took it one step further, and it was a magnificent declaration. He said, not only are you the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, but we believe that you are the very Son of God. And of course, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood did not reveal this. My Father above, what you just said is more than you can even know. And then as the conversation went on and, and some time passed, then coming out of that, remember how Jesus says, but you know, I'm going to have to go. And I'm going to die. I'm going to be scandalized. I'm going to literally be put up on a tree, killed, betrayed. And as Peter was listening to that, it didn't fit his conception of what he thought Messiah. None of them, what they thought Messiah. I mean, Jesus kept saying it, and they kept not acknowledging it. He kept even saying things like, and I'll rise again. But what does that mean? But it bothered Peter when Jesus said, I'm going to go and die. So he pulls him aside, remember, and he... He rebukes him, which is almost unheard of. He says, no, Lord, I'm not, we're not, no, far be it from you. No, I'm not going to let that happen. And none of us are. What are you talking about? Don't say those words. 
That's what he tells Jesus. And then Jesus in turn, remember, he rebukes Peter, the same one who had just said, you know, flesh and blood, this is something, God is with you, you know, blessed are you. Jesus turns to him, get behind me, Satan. You desire not the things of, of, of God, but the things of men. Right? And then there's this moment where it's just shocking, jarring, the intensity of Jesus' reaction because he saw this as a love, someone who loved him pulling him off a course that part of him didn't even want to go into, but he knew he had to. And so it was about six days after that that this occasion occurs. And it's not un, you know, without a sense of, of connection. It's, it's not simply... Coincidence. It, it's more than that. Because it says that Jesus took only his core. Remember his core team. He had his disciples. That was a core team. A group of about 12. And then he had a larger teams around that. But his core team consisted of Peter and the two brothers, sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he brought them up with him. He says, I want to bring you up with me. There's something that's going to happen. He didn't tell them what it was. He brought them up to, the mount, to a mountain. He left the others behind. On the mountain, we, and we, got, we started to explore this last week, something happened that, was never, that is never recorded as happening in any other place in all the, all the account of Jesus' life. It's only, it's recorded in three, you know, three of the Gospels, but it's so unusual. It says that on the verge of Jesus knowing he was going to go to the cross, he has this moment where he says, look, I'm going to go pray. And as he's praying, it says that his body, the word that is used there, it says that he was literally metamorphosized. That's the Greek word, transformed. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. The same root word is morph, the idea of changing, morphos, this idea of changing. In the, in the, this is that Jesus' countenance changed. As he was praying, there was such an intent. Something happened. The glory of God came over him in such a way that is actually he became, the way the Bible describes it, it was white like lightning, snow, it's gleaming, literally radiating out of, out of his very garments, the light, the glory of God. Reminiscent of the glory of God in the Older Testament would have come as well. That's the picture we're given. And then, and then Luke's account tells us something else. And I want us to kind of read through it and sort of see what happens. And then use this as a platform for something else as well. Both understanding and then applying. It says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white. And then suddenly, now, if that wasn't enough, we're told in another... <laughs> It's almost hard to believe, but we're told that two men came from the other world, as it were, from the land of the not in this life, but those who've passed to the next life. And that tells us a whole lot, by the way. It tells us that personality can be known. Um, what we're told here, incredibly, is that two men of the Older Testament who both symbolize in different ways, the two pieces that testify the coming of Messiah, Moses, the lawgiver, who God used to deliver his people out of bondage, a prototype of Jesus, if you will, or at least a type of Christ, Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of deliverance. Passover lamb, he becomes. But that's what was slain as they left Egypt out of bondage to a new beginning. Same principle with Jesus. The new life that comes through the shedding of his blood. No coincidence that John the Baptist says, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's all connected and interwoven. Having said that, there's Moses, we're told, and Elijah, who represents the prophets. So you have two men who are there conferring with Jesus. And we're given this really interesting exposure to what their discussion was. 
uh, Matthew's account doesn't really tell us this, but Luke's does. Look what it says here. It says, they were glorious to see. That would have been amazing in and of itself. They were talking with Jesus. And they were speaking with him about his exodus from the world. In other words, they were talking about, exodus means you're leaving, the departing. Um, they were talking about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. They were talking about what he was about to do. There was something, there must have been in Jesus' prayer, and we don't know the specifics of it, but there must have been such an intensity around the cross. Now, later on, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will pray again something very similar. He'll pray like, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But in that moment, we're told here that he's pray, as he was praying, that they were, he was being encouraged. They were talking about the coming path that he, Jesus was going to have to walk. And it says that, well, now what we didn't know, it says that of the things that are about to be, were about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And while they're having this discussion, we're told that, that Peter and the others, James and John, wake up. Evidently, they had fallen asleep. They had a pattern of doing this. They seemed to be sleep deprived. I noticed this. <laughs> um, you know, and they didn't even have daylight savings time and they were sleep deprived. You know, we, we the bottom line is as they were, as they were, as they were waking up, what we're being told here is that they wake up as they're getting, as they're waking up, they see this sight. I try to imagine in our mind's eye, people have for generations. Because again, nothing like it ever recorded in the scriptures quite like this. They, they recognize Jesus, but he's white gleaming. And there's this like cloud of glory around them. It's like something going on. And they see these two figures, whether it's because they were speaking and the names were being mentioned, or somehow they recognized who they were, but they described them as Moses and Elijah. And Jesus. And as Peter is waking up, probably his initial feeling is, I'm dreaming what's going on. But as he looks and begins to process out what's happening, his excitement, he just starts getting super, super excited. So excited that he's not even thinking about what he's saying. Look what we're told. It says that, and, I, you know, and for this we'll just, we'll just look at, as, as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter and I love what Luke says. He says, not even knowing what he was saying, right? <laughs> That's called classic Peter. I speak, you know, speak before you even think. That Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. This is great. You know, remember, earlier on, Peter had said, when Jesus said, I have to go to the cross, Peter said, no, no. Now he sees the glory. Yes, yes. This is it. This is what I'm talking about, right? The glory. Okay, okay, hold on. We're going to build, we're going to have, and I, I laugh at it, but we're going to build, we're going to build like a little mini church here, okay? We're going to have three tents, three rooms for you to stay in. Moses here, Elijah here, Jesus, you can be the one in the middle. <laughs> like, what is he talking about? What is he doing? He's hearkening back, I think maybe in his own mind, to the tabernacle in the Old Testament where the glory of the Lord was in the Holy. I don't know what he's thinking. He, the bottom line is it, 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 he, he wants somehow to keep the moment what it is because this is glorious. This is it. This is why we follow you. This is why I said you were the Christ, the son. Of, this is it. This is what I'm talking about. Now, in the moment while this is happening, again, this is classic Peter no cross, no. Glory, absolutely. Bring it on. In the middle of this moment, what is, the scripture says in, in Matthew's account, while Peter was yet talking, right, that a voice comes out. 
And the voice says, look at this. And you can see it in, what is it, verse 5, Matthew 17, verse 5. But even as he spoke, it says, a bright cloud. So again, there it is, like overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud, that's all you we get, says this. This is, my, this is my dearly loved son. The older version says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, listen to him. And it's, it's an amazing moment. It was an out, out, just an astonishing. This was a word for the world, by the way. Not, okay, when the word comes, this is my beloved. Peter's talking. The word comes out. This is my beloved son. I love, I, I find humor in it, even though I'm not sure that it was supposed to be. Because Peter's talking away, right? This is great. Let's build this out. And all of a sudden, it, the word comes. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Quit talking. <laughs> we might say it some other way, right? Listen to him. Now, they, that word, we're told, is so intense that these men, and they were roughly hewn guys, they fell to the ground in utter fear. And I look at those words and I go, those are gentle words. But the way they were said must have been scary. And the whole thing must have been like so awe-inspiring. All they know to do in the midst of this, this stunning display of power and majesty is they fall to the ground just totally terrified and afraid. And then all of a sudden it dissipates. And all that is left is Jesus. And look what it says he does. He walks up to them. And I love the gentleness and the tenderness of Jesus. Because not only was that word, by the way, listen to him, a word for Peter, it's a word for the world, and it's a word for us. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, listen to him. And when they lifted up their eyes, all they saw was Jesus. And you know what he said to them? It's the same thing he says to all of us. Do not, okay, what? Get up, come on. And do not be afraid. I love that. Do not let fear grip you. And when they looked up, Moses, Elijah were gone. They saw only Jesus. And then they went back down the mountain. Jesus said, don't be talking about this yet. This is a private thing right now. Now, years later, Peter, a much different version of the younger man who was so impetuous, so reckless with his words and feelings, Sometimes stumbling into amazing things, but most of the time saying things before he thought them through. Later on, Peter, as a much older aged man, will write these words. He will hearken back. Now, it's interesting because when you read through the Bible, you get to the book of First and Second Peter. You read his epistles, his letters, and you'll come across this like reference that he says he talks about something. And if we don't know what he's actually referring to, we go, what is he talking about? Well, he actually, in his letter to the churches as a much older man reflects back to a moment when he was on that mountain with Jesus. He never, ever forgot it. In fact, all of his reference, the most deepest reference he has to, the, to what he calls the majesty of God is connected to that experience. It, he doesn't even, it's interesting, he doesn't even, he, the resurrection was amazing. He doesn't refer to it. He refers to this moment. Look at this. This is in your handout as well. 2 Peter 1. He opens up that, that letter by saying this. He says, look, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of Jesus Christ. No, we weren't doing that. He says, um, we saw with our own eyes his majestic splendor. 
when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice, and he says, remember the voice, the voice from the majestic glory, that was what we just read about. The voice from the majestic glory of God. See, still in his mind, he can remember the words vividly, the whole moment that said this, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now we ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And because of that experience, we, which he's saying, I've never forgotten, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You can trust God's word, he says. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And I love the poetic way in which Jesus is described as wanting to come into our life. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Peter says the same majesty that shone through Jesus can dwell in your heart if you'll welcome him in. The same light of God can come into your life. I mean, what a, what a great invitation. Later on, John will say, and he opens his letter. Remember, he was one of the three that were there. When you read first John, the first chapter, which is so beautiful and powerful, he says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They didn't forget. And when we think about these things, there's some things that I think are worth connecting to. And I want to put uh, at least a few of them on, on the board for us to wrestle with because, again, our purpose is to both explore the peace but also apply the peace. So let me say this about it. And I th I'm hoping this will connect because it's, it's connected with me. And a lot of these things have, meaning, have great meaning to me in my life as well. But one of the things I want to put up here is this. And it's, it's going to sound obvious initially. But remember, Peter wanted the glory, but the cross he could do without. Right? He wanted, he wanted yes, the... The, the, the beauty and the blessing and the power and the majesty. But what he didn't want was the cross. And what is that cross? The cross, at least in part, is that place where we're called to yield. It's that place of submission. It's that place of sacrifice. He wanted the glory, but not the cross. And one of the things we're told here and taught here, I think, invited to consider, is that on this side of eternity, in this life, and I'm going to talk, right now I'm going to use this phrase, the Christian life, the life of following Jesus can never be lived only on the mountain as much as we want it to be. And I'm using the mountain as a metaphor. Because what does the mountain speak of? It speaks of the blessing and the glory. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't times with God where there are incredible moments of breakthrough that occur in our lives where we feel something of the light of God shining in our lives. Many of us have felt the transformative effect of Jesus in our lives. The touch of God, unlike any other, that has literally crushed our fear and opened up the possibility of wholeness and life, changed the way we think. Paul would write in Corinthians later on, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. And then he uses this word, behold, stand in awe, all things become new. There are times where we do have these moments, that's what I call them, where we like mountaintop experiences. Times where we really feel like God is near to us. Maybe we'll be reading his word, we'll be praying, maybe we're worshiping, singing to him. Something happens, something, it could be in our, honestly, it can happen in our car. We just feel like God's presence in some, such a powerful way. We're opened up to Jesus. Our life is altered. We see things differently. The mountaintop places, the places, I'll call the mountaintop also something else. It's a place of blessing. It's the place where God is so clearly moving in our favor. We're just so grateful and excited. And we feel like saying with Peter, it is good to be here. That's what I'm talking about. 
right? This is what I want. Yes, and those moments are great moments. And, but I don't know if moments of great blessing are necessarily transformational. They may be. But I think, and I can only base it at least in part, at least in part, that many of the most transformational moments, just as it was the case for Jesus, he placed the, he, he, he did have the mountain of glory, but he came down off of that and walked down the mountain to the cross. I'm going to suggest that a lot of times the most transformational places in our lives are in the everydayness of our life or in the struggling places of life where we are forced to wrestle with things, where there is a cross, as it were, where things are broken, where things are challenged, where there's real pain. And in those painful places, the forsaken places, the lonely places, the cross places, that oftentimes that's where the master physician does his most profound work. Over my lifespan, in, as a follower of Jesus, I've come to understand that the things sometimes that we most despise and would run away from, and I'm going to tell you, a lot of us would run, except the Lord tells us not to and invites us to learn the lesson and to allow him to expand us and grow us and help us to become what he wants us to be. Many times it's in the breaking places where the real transformation of life comes. Again, I say he comes down off the Mount of Glory and hangs on the cross. There's something about suffering and struggle that produces life in us that is unlike any other place. And I think it's partly because we tend to be broken of our pride and even the most intelligent or powerful or, you know, knowledge filled among us. There are times where we're stripped to the core and we know we need a savior. And in that place where we are broken and in need and stripped down, we will find he is near. And he will walk with us down the mountain. That is a fact. The thing about it is broken places is a lot of times it's like the struggle, you know, like the butterfly coming out of a cocoon. It's like, it's hard, you know, you want to, you want to stop it. You want to, but that struggle is what produces the beauty. So some of us are in a struggling place. Some of us have stuff that we're trying to leave behind. Some of us have stuff that God's trying to break us into. We talk about sometimes how, um, if you ever seen a seed go into the ground and it bursts out of the ground. Jesus said, except a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bring forth fruit. He said, and think about it, when you get those like um, accelerated time lapses going on, when the seed falls in and it starts to grow real fast, right? You can see it. And it's like a mirror. But you know what? It's the, and there's that moment where the, the way it's captured allows, you can see the shoot breaking out of the ground. And you see the, the sand, right? And the thing comes right out and it grows. That, that breaking though, a lot of times that's the place in life where we're trying to break ourselves out of things. So that, Now, it's not always breaking away. Sometimes it is. Sometimes, listen, it's about God preparing us for something new. And some of us may find ourselves, listen, in transformation. Really, honestly, we are in transition places that invite us into transformation. But broken places are opportunities. And they present us opportunities in ways that sometimes nothing else can but I also put this up for us to consider. Jesus wants us to know him. This is number two. He wants us to know him as at, really in his full glory. He wants us to know him as the unique son of God. Many people are saying many things about Jesus. But the way he invites us to know him is as a transformative one who is the unique son of God. That's why he came to this world. You know, 
one of the things that we, we there's an amazing passage. I'm just going to put it up real quickly. It's in 2 Corinthians. Check this out because it connects to the same theme. Look at the words. First off, he says, now where the, the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, that means God's about freedom. God's about breaking us into places, dimensions of freedom. But not only is, is he about liberty and freedom in our lives. So what, are there some things we need to get free from? Are there some things we need to walk through? Are there, some, are there some things right now that we need God's grace because they're really hard for us? And you know what I've learned? What is hard for one person may not be hard for another, but it doesn't change the fact that it's hard for us. And some of us came in with real struggle. And no one may ever know it. A person can be sitting next to us. A person can be, be intimately part of our lives and never know some of the struggles we have. They're real. Christ wants to teach us how to be transformed, even in the pain of life, as much as in the, in the goodness of life. They're both good in different ways. But look what he says. He says, but we all with unveiled face, think about something removed, beholding as in a mirror, like we look in the glory, we look like in a mirror. We pull this off and we look at the, in the mirror and we see the glory of God are being transformed into the same image. There's that word again, metamorphosized, this idea, same root word, right, for being changed into something different, into the same image from glory to glory, just as, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, if we can set our gaze in the right direction, God can do amazing things in our lives. Later on, Paul would write in Romans 12, and I'll just quote this one real fast, he would say this, um, I, you know, I really, I beseech you, I strongly urge you, I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, by the, on the basis of the tender mercies of God, right, that you would respond to God's overture to you by presenting yourself back to him, your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm not asking you to die physically, but to live for him. And then you may be, you know, acceptable unto God. Just seek to live a life that is right in his eyes. It's just your reasonable service, Paul says, in light of the amazing extension that God has given to us, if we really comprehend how much we've been loved, it will challenge us when we want to pull away from God. It's almost like I'm drawn by your love, Lord, to want to give you my life back. You gave me your life. How can I repay you? You gave me, you paid a debt for me. I can never repay. What can I give you? I give you back myself. And if you by your grace will help me, I will represent your heart imperfectly, but nonetheless with intention all the days of my life. Right? Do not be conformed, shaped by the value system of our world and culture, but instead, here's our word again, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let God put a different kind of thinking into us that we may then know how to work through things, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God, that we might learn how to come to places where it seems like there's no way out and God will show us the way. Lastly, I'll put it this way and I'll summarize it this way. God really does invite us to places of transformation. We'll put this up as well, number three. He wants us to be able to make a difference for him. I really believe that. Peter would become a man transformed. We, in a way, are transformed, if we can put it this way, are being transformed again. What are things that we need to... Are there character things? Are there things that God's trying to get us to break out of, get break free from, let go of, quit? You know, some of us, we have like years of getting stuck in a space. It's a way of thinking sometimes. It's a way of processing. And, and it, sometimes it goes back to habits that have been not just formed, but, 
but deeply planted into us, sometimes going all the way back to our most early experiences, our upbringing, and some of those things are all good and fine, and some of them, but some of them are not, not good. They're actually getting in the way of what God's trying to do and, and how he can use us and work through us. And, and, and those are the places God wants to transform and change and in a way free us to become who he made us to be, really, in him. Sort of like becoming, becoming ourselves in the making. And that happens by allowing the Lord to work in us. And again, sometimes that is not easy. Sometimes it has to do with letting go. Sometimes it has to do with opening up. I've often used the image of something. I can't get here if I'm holding here. I want to go here, but I'm holding here. So there's a point sometimes in our life with God where the Lord will say, okay, I'm calling you here and I want to go here, but, but, I, I, but this is what I know. But it scares me to let it go. Even to challenge it is hard. But to get here, I got I, I to gotta choose. I, I, so that's a scary place. I'll call that the transition place. But it's in that place where the Lord, this is what I love. See, the same way Jesus came to the disciples and said, get up. Do not be afraid. Come on. He works with us. I love that. Well, if he only knew who I was. He does know who we are. I got stuff. We all have stuff. I have real pain deep in there. I know it's okay. It's what he does. He knows pain. Gave his life for us. Created a, a bridge. Wants to walk with us. That's such a beautiful gift. And here, last thing I'll say. The transformation, as we mentioned, is so that we can be a light to others and a blesser. It's not just for us, it's to be the blessing so that the transformation that works in our lives, imperfectly but real, can then be played out in the relationships of our life all around us. And we become, listen, reflections of the light of his glory. That's right. Imperfect, but nonetheless a reflection. A growing, also colorful. We, you know, we're going to close the service with a, when we end the service, we have this song called, called Stained Glass. And the, the cool thing about the imagery is the light shines through the glass and it comes out in different colors. And a lot of times the Lord is wanting to shine uniquely through our lives and what, he, what comes out is very unique to us, but beautiful. And, and it will make a difference. It will, it will create movement with God. Listen, I'll say, there are people who we are meant to reflect the transforming touch of the light of the goodness and glory of God to that can honestly... That's going to be what happens through our lives. People are going to be affected. They're going to come to love God better because of what is happening in our lives. When we are transformed, it affects other people. Let's pray. All right? So, Lord, we are grateful. We are, we are, we are overwhelmed by not only your greatness, but by, but by your patience and your love for us. And the places that you break are to remake new things that can bring forth fruit that can, sometimes can come in no other way. So instead of running away fearfully, help us, Lord, to walk into things with courage and to allow the process of what you're trying to do to, to play itself out in such a way that by the time we're done, we've learned something, not only about ourselves, but about what you can do and it creates something of, of a hopefulness in us. And I pray that. I pray that blessing. And I pray that that blessing would just sit among us, 
you know, in these closing minutes, as we, after we have our time of giving in this closing song, let it just be a joyful close, a reminder of what you can do through our lives if we'll open up our hearts to you in the good and in the bad. I ask this in Jesus' name.